And when I do, man, I feel great. And I immediately stash that away in my I love me wall <laughs> or my I love, I love me drawer. <laughs> <laughs> or, or modern tech in modern technology, my 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 my, my I love me memory stick, <laughs> so that I can so that I can so that I can recall it when when I'm in despair. Power to live more with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organisation, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name's Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Stephen Mays. Stephen was recommended to us by our guest on show number 88, Fred Stuvek Jr. Stephen is a graduate of the United States Naval Academy. His career in leadership includes construction operation of a nuclear-powered submarine, the, the USS Los Angeles. After military service, he served in private consulting positions and federal government service involving nuclear power plant safety and security analysis. He graduated from the University of Idaho with a master's degree in electrical engineering and the Federal Executive Institute's Leadership for a Democratic Society. He comes from a family with a long history of service in military, police, education and healthcare. He's lived in nine different states and several foreign countries. He loves telling stories, especially about leadership, and believes that leaders are made, not born. He learned most of all he knows about leadership through trial and error. He's passionate about teaching new leaders about the leadership concepts that are missing in general leadership training. The Power of Three paradigm is a mechanism for helping others to learn to improve their leadership without getting their degree from the College of Hard Knocks. Back to the studio. So today I'm interviewing Stephen Mays of Power of Three Leadership. Thanks for joining me, Stephen. Great to have you with me. Or, or Steve, actually, we've turned to on the uh, email. So shall I call you Steve? <laughs> uh, yes, Steve is fine, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. And I hope that I'll be of uh, value to you and your uh, your constituents. Lovely. Excellent. So tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do and probably the succinct version, because this could be the whole podcast, because you've had rather a interesting career, haven't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been pretty interesting and it's been pretty diverse. Um, um, I graduated from the United States Naval Academy in 1974 and served in nuclear submarines uh, for five years. Uh, then I went to uh, work at uh, various different uh, consulting government and uh, private business uh, entities uh, specializing in uh, nuclear power plant uh, safety and security. And I did that for about 30 years. And along the way, I uh, got involved more and more with leadership issues as I was rising up the chain of, uh, of uh, command uh, or position in, in business and government. Um, I graduated from the Federal Executive Institute in Charlottesville, and uh, I was always interested in leadership uh, issues uh, throughout my career. And so I uh, 
I decided to start looking at it more deeply. And some friends of mine encouraged me to write a book. And so I eventually did. And I wrote the book, The Power of Three Lessons in Leadership, to try to help people um, come to terms with leadership things that I only had to learn through the College of Hard Knocks because nobody taught me this stuff. Uh, and I thought, well, this stuff is not that hard to teach. And if we can help people along the way by teaching them a few things, um, maybe they'll have more opportunities to be better leaders. And so that was my my mission and my goal for uh, writing the book and the work that I do now. Lovely. Thank you. And and where are you based? I'm based uh, outside of Washington, D.C. area in Northern Virginia. Um, uh, but my motto is... Uh, have need will travel. Um, <laughs> I will go. I will go anywhere anybody asks me to go to uh, talk about leadership to try to help people uh, be better leaders because I think we have a a dearth of good leadership in the world and uh, we suffer for it. And so anything I can do to help make leadership better uh, will help everybody else. So I'm trying to incorporate this in my life as much as I can and then try to get it multiplied out to other people because I think it's important that they learn how to yeah. be better leaders. And you talk about believing that leaders are made and not born. Tell us more about that. Uh, I think the concepts of leadership are taught. You learn them uh, because you're, no one's born a leader. I think they're, people have personalities and styles and stuff that are and, and talents that allow them to be better at things than others, and that kind of sets them apart as quote-unquote leaders. But all the leaders learn how to be leaders as they go. Uh, so it's it's a matter of whether you learn it by experience and trial and error, or whether you learn it through a more academic uh, and structured setting. And to me, it just seems uh, pathetic that uh, we don't do more uh uh, leadership training at a young age rather than wait until people have already succeeded to some level in their career and say, okay, now you're going to be a leader because that just seems to mm -hmm. me to be uh, uh, nonsensical. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I use this example a lot when I talk to people about leadership. I ask them what they majored in in college. Also, I'll ask you, what did you major in in college? Uh, well, firstly, I didn't go to university, as we call it in the UK. <laughs> Um, okay. So I, I majored in being an, uh, an HR manager, actually, because I went and started working managing people. But um, what would I have majored in? It would have probably been history, I would think, or English. Okay, so, so I, I, I used this example with a, with a group I was talking to uh, about a year ago. And we had a uh, uh, one person was a mechanical engineer, one person was a history major, and one person was an English major. And so I asked the mechanical engineer, do you remember what grade he got in the statics and dynamics course? <laughs> and of course he knew. And I asked the history major what they got in U.S. history up through the Civil War. And of course, that person knew. And I asked the English major what they got in their class in Shakespeare. And of course, they knew that answer too. And then I asked them the next two questions. I said, well, what did you get in your final exam in your honesty class? And they all looked at me. I said, well, okay, well, what did you get in your capstone project in your courage class? <laughs> and they all just sat there and I said, I don't believe you're dishonest and cowardly, are you? I said, no. I said, well, how did you develop honesty and courage then? And they all went, hmm. And I said, well, exactly. That's the problem. We don't 
talk about these things and develop these things and give people these things. We spend all of our time in schools and universities and training on talent, developing a skill, developing a talent to do something. And because of that, we are weaker in those areas, and those areas are fundamental to the foundation to being able to be a good leader. So mm -hmm. when we have when we have catastrophic failures of leadership, uh, it's almost never due to a lack of talent. I mm -hmm. can't remember anything in my life where I failed that was primarily due to a lack of talent. And I doubt if you think about it, you'll find many examples in your life where you had a major failure that was primarily due to a lack of talent. And that's kind of the impetus for why I wanted to get these things moving and start talking about them to people so that they would have the ability to recognize where they needed to work on, what strengths and what capabilities they needed to have in order to be better leaders. And let's talk a bit about who leaders are, because I think um, often when you're in the sort of corporate world, you tend to focus on, you know, the, the director and the general managers and the you know people managers and, and so on as being the leaders. But we lead in so many different aspects of our life in so many different ways. Is that is that what you would say too? I mean I see lots of people as being leaders who wouldn't see themselves as being leaders, but they, they are because of what they're doing. Well you're right. Uh, the um, everybody has the opportunity to be a leader at some level in their life as well as to be a follower. Uh, mm. Matter of fact, every leader, even the CEO of a major corporation, who's the leader of the company, uh, has to report to the board of directors and the stockholders. So everybody has an aspect of leadership and followership that they have to manage and go through. Um, if you're really good at being a good leader, you're probably pretty good at being a good follower, too, because you understand what the followers should be doing, as well as what you should be doing as their leader. So that's an important piece um, for leadership. And we live in a hierarchical world. Uh, so there's always somebody who's designated with authority. And that's typically considered a leadership position. But leadership and, uh, and authority are different. Authority is power to make you do something. I can control you because if you don't show up for work at a certain hour, you're fired. That's power. Leadership is. I want you to be here at 8 o'clock because it's a good thing for us to do together to accomplish something. That's leadership. That's, a, that's influence as opposed to arbitrary power. And so you have a lot of people who are in positions of authority that are expected to be leaders but may or may not be very good leaders. And you can have mm -hmm. people that are leaders that have no power of authority. For example, if uh, there's a car wreck on the side of the road and the car's on fire and five or six people get out of their cars and stop, and somebody says, come on, we're going to get these people out of the car. That person's leading. But that person has no authority. There's no position. There's no badge. There's no certificate. The person is just leading. He's influencing other people to help somebody else to achieve something. So leadership mm -hmm. occurs all over the place. Um, and if we confuse leadership with power, we're, we're doing a disservice to ourselves. Because mm -hmm. leadership doesn't power it, but it has had everything to do with how power should be used. Yeah. So, 
how are you helping to uh, improve leadership and get people to to be better leaders? You've you've written your book. What what are you doing with that? Well, I'm giving speeches and 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 uh, doing seminars and talking mm-hmm. to people in classes and things to try to help people understand that, to give them a foundation and give them a basis for how they can think about what they need to do as a leader. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, oftentimes people just talk about leadership in terms of personality and style, and that's a mistake. Um, the example I use is uh, uh, a lot of times uh, is, uh, well, is uh, this Winston Churchill have the same leadership style as Nelson Mandela? Mm-hmm. Did George Patton have the same leadership personality and style as Mahatma Gandhi? Uh, did Douglas MacArthur uh, have the same leadership style as Dr. Martin Luther King? Well, no, they did. But all of those people are leaders, and all those people are widely recognized as great leaders. So if it wasn't about their style, what was it that made them great leaders? And I came to the conclusion that it really isn't about style. It's about what they do. And what they do is what I've tried to capture in the Power Three uh, leadership paradigm so that other people can say, these are the things that leaders do. And when they do these things, that helps them and others achieve more. So that's the uh, that's kind of the approach I've taken. Yeah, I was interested when I saw that as, as being the, the sort of differentiator for this, being about what people do because as you say people have been successful leaders and and unsuccessful leaders you know for for centuries but they weren't all the same type of people with the same personality so uh, I thought it was really interesting to talk uh, talk about actually what you know what they do as being the dif- the difference so uh, if us- sorry yeah I was gonna say I think that's that was a major re- revelation to me because uh, I experienced both very, very good leadership in my career and some really, really poor leadership. And it was comparing those two that enabled me to see what those commonalities were that were either being done or not being done. And so mm-hmm. uh, that was a major influence in my in my uh, uh, preparation of this. Yes, yeah. So you've mentioned the power of three already, which is um, what your book uh, is about and, and is about uh, in the title of your uh, company as well. So tell us what the power of three paradigm is. Uh, well, it's basically uh, breaking down what leaders do into three basic uh, categories and then explaining within each category uh, what the facets of that are. And the number three shows up everywhere I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, so that's why it was called the power of three. But the first uh, area that leaders have to do, they have to have a foundation. No building, no structure, no culture ever got developed anywhere in the world without a foundation. I don't care whether you talk about material world or the academic world, there has to be a foundation. And for leadership, I decided that the three things that you needed to do to have a good foundation was honesty, courage, and talent. Uh, And of those three, talent is the least important. It's still important, but it's the least important. Um, Honesty I define as the ability to see the world the way that it is 
not the way you want it to be, not the way you think it should be, not the way it could be if somebody would just get out of the way and let you do things right, but the way that it is. Um, and that's really, really important because if you can't see how it is, it's very difficult to subsequently make decisions about what to do. Um, Scott Peck uh, wrote a book called The Roadless Travel. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, I've heard of it, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it's one of the great things about the book, it starts out with a very, very profound statement. The first sentence of the book is, life is difficult. And it is. But um, he talked about how everybody from the time they're born through their life develops a map. And the map is their experiences and their understanding and their looking out at the world of what they see and what they've learned. And they, it all gets incorporated into a map of what the world is to them. And if you're going to be a leader, you have to have a map that's realistic. Not only that, you have to have a map that can be shared with other people so that their maps and your maps can see where they align. Because when they align and you're on the same page together, you can then decide how you're going to go someplace. So that's why the honesty thing is so important. You need to see things the way they are, not just from your own perspective, but from the perspective of others as well, so you can get together and be in a place where you can move forward together. And that's what uh, needs to be done in leadership. The second piece of that is, um, courage, and I define courage as the ability to do three things. Overcome fear, act for the benefit of others without regard to the cost to yourself. So you overcome fear, you act to help someone else, and you do it without regard to the cost to yourself. That's what courage is. You have to have all three. Now, everybody's heard stories about uh, great courage, uh, the 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 soldier who throws himself on a grenade to save his fellow soldiers. Uh, the, the person in the Navy, for example, whose compartment is flooding, and he gets his partners out, and he closes the watertight door, knowing he's going to drown, but just keep the other other parts of the ship from, from flooding and drowning and, and sinking too. Those are the most dramatic things because they have the most dire consequences. But courage occurs all the time. When you see somebody do something for somebody else, even though it costs them something, and they have to overcome fear to do it, that's courage. And we don't do enough of recognizing, encouraging, and and bringing those things to bear. Um, I have a story about that that's in the book about my daughter. Um, when she went to school in first grade, we packed her lunch every day for school, and she would come home every day without eating any of her lunch. And so we asked her why. And she said, I, she didn't have enough time. So we talked to her teacher and said, Justice says she doesn't have enough time to eat her lunch. And her teacher said, she, of course she gets plenty of time. So I said, well, could you check on what's going on in the lunchroom then? Because she's not eating. So she did. And she called us up and she told us, and it about broke my heart. So it turns out there was a kid in her class who was from a very wealthy family. The mother quit working as soon as the son was born. And she spent all of her time with her son. The first face he saw in the morning was mom. The face he interacted with all day long was mom. And the last face he saw before he closed his eyes at night was mom. But when he came to school, mom wasn't there anymore. But there was a teacher, and there were kids, and there were some fun things to do, so everything was all right. 
Then came lunchtime. And they would march the kids into the lunchroom and they would set their lunch boxes in front of them. They would separate them and say, and they would say, sit where you're at, don't talk, and eat your lunch. So this kid would sit there with a lunchbox that mommy had made for him in the morning. And now he was there looking at this, and mommy was nowhere to be seen. And there was no teacher, and he had to sit by himself to eat his lunch. And anxiety overcame him, and he started to cry. Well, my daughter would see this guy crying, so she would disobey what she was told to do. She would overcome the fear of disobeying. She would get up and go sit next to the guy and talk to him during the entire lunch period so that he wouldn't cry and he would eat his lunch. And then after a while, after he was eating his lunch, the teacher would start coming back down the hall to collect all the kids and she would run back over to her seat where she was supposed to sit and sit there. And they would put their lunch boxes back in the wagon and they'd go back to the class. So when my daughter came home that day and I looked at her lunchbox, I said, you didn't eat anything from your lunch. And she said, no, I didn't have time, Daddy. And I said, Jessica, mm -hmm. I think you had time, didn't you? And she gave me that big, you know, pouty, big-eyed look and then shaking her head. Uh -huh. I, said, <laughs> I said, you went over to sit with Thomas because he was having a bad day, weren't you? And she gave me that same look again. <laughs> and every time I tell the story, I get choked up. But uh, <laughs> it's so hard to me. So then I said, yeah, Jeff, okay. I'm, awfully, I'm awfully proud of you for helping out your friend. But it's okay to eat your lunch while you do it. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. I learned a lesson about courage from my daughter when she was mm -hmm. six years old. And so it dawned on me that we see courage all the time. But we don't recognize it. We don't call it out. And we don't appreciate it like we should. And if we mm -hmm. did and more people thought about and encouraged courage in their daily lives, we'd have better leaders and everybody would be better off. So that's why courage is essential uh, in my foundation for leadership. Yeah. Moving to the next, the next step was, was it, well, if you have a good foundation and you have talent because you worked on your skills for whatever business or endeavor you're in, you have the opportunity to lead. And now when you have that opportunity, you're going to face challenges. And I looked at the kinds of challenges a leader might have. And they all fell kind of neatly into three categories. The first one was unmet expectations. And that's where probably 99% of people's leadership challenges come from. You're expecting something from somebody, it doesn't get delivered. Or somebody's expecting something from you, and you don't deliver. I thought, well, why are challenges, why are expectations occurring? Well, there's only three reasons. People don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. Or they don't want to do it. Now, the problem for a leader is to recognize that the what and the how belong to the leader. The wanna belongs to the person who's supposed to do it. And my experience is people don't come to work wanting to fail. They want to succeed. So if you're having unmet expectations, it's probably because as a leader, you haven't really made clear what needs to be done, and you haven't made clear how it needs to be done and provided the time, the training, the resources, the staffing, the support for the person who's going to do it to be able to successfully accomplish it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be the leader, you need to recognize that what and how belong to you. The next thing is sometimes you get in a situation where it's, it's, a, it's an ethical, moral conflict. 
when you get in a moral conflict, there's only three things that you can do. You can try to fix it, you can accept it, or you can leave it. And I use the example of the uh, Emperor's New Clothes, because I think Aesop's Fable is a wonderful leadership book. <laughs> there's so many examples. There's so many examples in there. Uh, you know, we had uh, Aesop's Fables before we had uh, universities. So leadership <laughs> has been talked about around for way before we ever had college and university. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you can fix it, you can accept it, or you can leave it. Um, the problem is that when there's a conflict of a moral or ethical dilemma, um, any choice you make is going to have bad ramifications for you. And your choice has to be, what can you live with later? You can you may try to fix something, and it may be very painful, and you can get really bruised badly or hurt badly trying to fix something in an ethical conflict. You can accept it. Sometimes the ethical thing is wrong, but you can't fix it, and it doesn't have any impact on you, and you say, okay, I have to accept it. This is where the serenity prayer came from uh, back in the early 1900s uh, during the times in Germany. With the prayer was, God grant me the courage to change the things that I can, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm -hmm. And so that was on my grandparents' uh, wall on a tea towel. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's it, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful idea for leaders to understand, because yeah. when you are in a conflict, you have to make your choice. Um, and then the, the third one is if you can't fix it and you can't accept it, the only logical thing to do next is to leave it, to get, get away from the situation. Now, here's the problem. I'm going to say something that you're going to immediately, your uh, name is going to immediately pop into your head. Some people don't fix problems. They don't accept the problem. And they don't leave it. They take the fourth option, which is the rotten option to take. They don't fix it. They don't accept it. They don't leave it. They just hang around and bitch about it. Mm -hmm. Now, when I said that, you immediately, I know, you immediately identified somebody in your life who you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> everybody, everybody knows who that is, and probably everybody has done it at one, to some extent one time or another in their life. But if you're in that case, the people who don't fix, don't leave, don't accept, and hang around and bitch, they are a cancer to themselves. They are just eating themselves up and they're spreading their cancer to everybody else in the organization. There is only one cure for cancer. You have to excise it. You have to get rid of it. And if you're a leader, you have to recognize when that's the situation for you to do. The last yeah. thing, and this is, this is probably the most important part of the challenges as far as I'm concerned, is, uh, is the, the area where I call drive despair out. And I ask the question of people, what's the opposite of love? And most people will say the opposite of love is hate. But it isn't. Yeah. Because love is an overwhelming emotion that compels you to act towards the benefit of others. Hate is the same thing, except the focus is towards the detriment of others. But basically, it's the same function. It's an overwhelming uh, well, emotion. Maybe it's for the benefit of yourself. Maybe that would make it even more similar. Yes. So, so I ask myself, what's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is an emotion that is deeply felt that compels you or prevents you from acting. And when you think about it, 
everybody's been in despair at some point in their life. I have been. You have. Everybody. When you're in despair, you're, it's like the shutdown button on your soul. It makes it impossible for you to do the things you know you need to do, that you should be doing. And so if you're a leader and you're in despair, you can't lead. And if your followers are in despair, they can't follow. So a critical challenge for every leader is to recognize despair when it creeps its ugly head up and try to drive it out of their personal lives. And then try to drive despair out of the lives of their followers in whatever form it takes. It could be silly and stupid rules that they have to follow. It could be dangerous conditions they have to work in. It could be situations beyond their control where people are just hurting and can't function. I got a call one night uh, at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, my wife handed me the phone and I answered the phone. I said hello and the voice on the other end said, Mr. Mays? I said, yeah. This is Hagley. Hey, Hagley, what's up? I'm going to kill my wife. Okay. That got my attention. Mm. Uh, the guy the guy was in despair. He had come home unexpectedly and found somebody else with his wife. And he had gone out and gotten drunk, and now he decided he was going to go kill his wife. So I had to act. I, the first thing I had to do is try to drive him out, get him out of his despair, and get him away from the situation so he could subsequently do what needed to be done more appropriately. Um, and so driving despair out is really, really critical to being a good leader. A leader that makes everybody feel bad and suffer is not a leader. They're a tyrant. Mm -hmm. Good leaders, good leaders help people out and drive despair out of their life and the lives of others. Because it's amazing when you do that, how many wonderful benefits accrue to the person and to the organization. Uh, the particular person I was talking about became one of my best operators on my submarine uh, that I had. He was wonderfully dependable. He was a terrific uh, uh, sailor and um, uh, just, a, just a great guy. And mm -hmm. I had, I, had I not done something then, he could have done something really stupid that could have ruined his life. But you have yeah. to do that. If, if, you, if, you, if you have love, if you have a compulsion to do something to help other people out, then you have to do that. And that's what you get when you drive despair out. You leave room for the love to take over to do things that will help people um, because mm -hmm. that's what that's all about. Yeah. The last, yeah. The, the last part of the uh, paradigm is if you've successfully meeting your challenges because your foundation is strong and you know how to deal with your challenges, then you really get to the last level of leadership, which is achievement. And I use the acronym AID, A-I-D, to describe this level. And it's because A is for assist. I is for inspire, and D is for depend. If you want to achieve, you have to assist people to do better. They sometimes don't know what they're really capable of. You have to help them come to recognition of what they can do and help them do the things they need to do so that you can achieve uh, what your goals are. You have to inspire them. You have to give them a reason to believe that what they're doing is worthwhile. And there's two types of inspiration. There's what I call aspirational inspiration. That is, look at where we're going. 
look at what we're trying to do. We're going to change the world, or we're going to change the company, or we're going to we're going to improve our market sales, or we're going to uh, improve people's education, or we're going to help people with their problems. Whatever, you inspire them by the nature of the end goal. And there's another piece of inspiration, which is confirmational, which is every time somebody does something good towards your goal, you confirm it. Because nothing makes somebody feel more valued than toiling away at something that maybe, you know, a year or two or three years down the road, but knowing that what they're doing is taking the steps to make that happen. And if you do confirmational and inspirational leadership, it just dramatically improves your chances of successful achievement. Mm -hmm. And the the last part is depend. If you could do everything yourself because you're so great, you wouldn't need any followers. (laughs) You're a leader because you need followers because you can't do everything all yourself. And if you're going to be in that situation, you have to depend on them. And this is something I think most, a lot of leaders have really, really difficulty with. A lot of people are in the mode of avoiding failure or avoiding risk or avoiding consequences. And if you're doing that as a leader, you're not really being a good leader. Because what we'll do is you'll end up being a micromanager. You're going to say, hey, if I'm going to be held accountable for any failures here, I'm going to make darn sure that everybody else who's working on this is doing exactly what I want them to do the way I want them to do it. Mm. That's not that's not depending on people. That's not trusting them. That's making them feel like they're not worth anything. You depend on people to do things. But here's the kicker, and this is really important. When you're the leader, and we're talking about achievement now, when you're the leader, you're going to get credit for things that you didn't do. You're going to get blamed for things that you had no control over. Guess what? That's your job. Your job as the leader is that when credit comes around, to talk about how the team achieved. And when something goes wrong and the blame comes around, you talk about what you're going to do. You accept the blame for yourself. And you talk about what you're going to do to fix the problem. Because how many times have you seen leaders in whatever situation, something dramatic comes up and something goes wrong, and you'll hear the following. I accept full responsibility, but. It's always that comma, but, that distinguishes the good leaders from the bad ones. Because the bad, the good, bad ones are going to say but, and then they're going to start trying to spread the blame to somebody else. But so-and-so didn't do what he was told to do. So-and-so didn't. Our system wasn't right. Uh, I inherited this from the, from the last president or the last CEO or whatever. You can always get the comma but from the bad leaders. The good leaders say, I accept responsibility, and now I'm going to go fix it. And that's what good leaders do because they depend on their people. And you don't pass the failures down. You, and you don't you pass the, the, the benefits down, but you accept the failures on yourself. And if you're not willing as a leader to accept the fact that you're going to be credited when you don't deserve it, and you're going to be blamed when you had no control over the thing, then you need to get out of the leadership business because you're not fit for it. 
but that's really, really critical uh, for for leaders to understand because um, it's a hard pill to swallow because it's against human nature. People like to be liked. They like to be rewarded. They like to be thought well of. They don't like when people say you suck, <laughs> and so they look for so they look for ways to get out of having people say you suck. They try to deflect. They try to put somebody else. The, the term is uh, throwing somebody else under the bus. You know, they look for reasons where it's not their fault. And the, the the truth of the matter is, if you want to be a leader, you have to embrace that. And you have to embrace that your role as a leader is to fix the problem, not fix the blame. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's so that's that's the that's the paradigm in a nutshell. Uh, mm -hmm. I give lots of examples of things in the book, and some of them are also on the website of uh, cases where you know dramatic or maybe not so dramatic things happen that illustrate what goes wrong when you do something or what goes right when you do something. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what I want to spread around to people. So that's a really good segue into um, asking you about, for you personally, what about if you have days where, where things don't go right for you? What, what, how do you deal with that? And let's, let's see how much of the uh, paradigm comes into this. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, as I said, that, in my opinion, the driving despair out is the hardest challenge to deal with, although it's not the one you most, you know, the unmet expectations is the most common one. Ethical conflicts are a little less common, but driving despair out is the hardest one to do. For me personally, it's it, it's hard for me. Uh, yeah, I have to recognize when I'm in despair, and the way I do that is I I try to recognize when I get the feeling of oh geez, I just don't want to do anything. You get that kind yeah. of uh, that, the feeling like the elephant's sitting on your chest, uh, and it's not going to do you any good. And boy, this happens all the time. And uh, you try to, and you have to say, okay, I'm in despair. I'm not going to let this affect me. I'm going to try to find something good to do. I'm going to try to move away from whatever's causing this feeling in me to getting into something positive. Um, I used to refer to things uh, when you would get awards and you get uh, accolades and stuff. I would. <laughs> I would take them, I, I had them a drawer on my desk that I would put all those things in, or uh, maybe a, a counter on the wall where it had my diplomas and things. And I refer to them as the uh, I love me drawer or the I love me wall. Um, <laughs> and, and so when I started feeling that way, I'd, 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 for perspective, I would try to go back and look at those things. Uh, I was reminded of an old Hebrew tradition, uh, which was that whenever a, a person would wake up in the morning, when they take their foot out of the bed and put their feet on the floor. They would stand up and they would clap their hands and make a loud noise. And they would, they would recite this phrase. Uh, uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be thankful and rejoice in it. And sometimes if you just do something little like that, you can bring yourself to the point where you can see past the despair to something else. So, but everybody's different, but it always begins with recognition that you're in despair and taking steps to try to get out of it. And yeah. then that leads that leads you to be able to then say, when you see somebody who's maybe doing something bad, um, uh, go over and say, how's it going? You okay? 
there was a great, uh, Simon Sinek, for example, was talking about once when he was talking to some people in a Marine Corps uh, leadership seminar where one of the officers was just challenging him on everything he, everything he said. He was just, you know, trying to tear him down and, and say, you know, make like he didn't have anything useful to say. And Sinek noticed it, and he didn't take the guy on. He just kept plugging away. And after the the, the speech, the the commanding officer came to him and says, I'm really embarrassed about what this other officer did. I'm going to go take care of him. And Simon Sinek said this. He said, don't go take care of him. I want you to do one thing. I want you to go ask him, is he okay? And it turns out that when Simon and the CO went to talk to this guy, who had been such a disruptive force, they asked him, are you okay? Is something wrong? And the guy just spilled his guts about what was bothering him. And they were yeah. able to do something for him because they could see that he was in despair because they knew what despair meant to them. And that's why really good leaders, when somebody gives them facts and figures and such and such about something that's not right or wrong, or something, if you look for people, you can see when they're angry, when they're upset, and when they're forlorn, that's your signal as a leader that they're in despair and you need to you need to go in and get rid of their despair so that you can deal with whatever their facts and figures and other issues are. Because yeah. when they're in despair, when they're in despair, they can't follow and mm. you can't lead them. Mm. So you have mm. to move move out of that. And that's really, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to do is to is to be self aware enough to say, uh, okay, um, I'm not. I'm, I'm not being helpful to anybody right now. I need to. I need to refocus. Yeah. Um, and and you have an awful lot of that stuff, whether you knew it, that that's what you were doing or not, in your in your five fundamentals. You talk about you know uh, getting rid of the getting rid of the junk, <laughs> getting organized <laughs> in your life, uh, getting to the things that are most important, and 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 doing away with the things that aren't. Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's one of the reasons I like what you had in here so much is you talk about those kinds of things because mm-hmm. it's really important to drive despair out, um, mm-hmm. uh, and you you it's amazing what can happen uh, when when you do that you you'll see people who get disappointed all the time, and when you can when you can get them to realize that they have value. And that, that there's something they can do that will be better than what they're doing now, and they go off and try it, and it works. Man, that's that's such a wonderful feeling to have to yeah. know you made a difference. It's just incredible, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of my personal uh, benefit from doing this is that I occasionally get the chance to make a difference for somebody, and when I do, man, I feel great, and I immediately. Stash that away in my "I love me" wall, <laughs> or my love, "I love me" drawer, or, or modern tech in modern technology, my 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 my, my "I love me" memory stick, <laughs> so that I can so that I can so that I can recall it when when I'm in despair. Yes. Um, yeah. Because uh, uh, it's 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 so it's it's so undervalued, and it's so important. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's funny, actually. It, it just your um i love me draw stick or wall whatever makes me think i um little dodzy ellie um my daughter had a she she got her black belt in karate last year um at the age of uh 11 um and 
her certificate was knocking around and I've put it in a frame and put it up on the side and she she's all embarrassed that it's there and she said it was going to go in her folder and I thought oh she you know she's trying to play it down but now I realize actually now you've said that I think her folder is her I love me folder so I think yeah. I need to photocopy it so she can stick it in there so that she doesn't have to go and stand on the stairs and look at the certificate uh, on its own <laughs> in splendid isolation on the on the stairs. She can go. She can add it into her I love me folder as well. <laughs> but you but you know what? If it's if if it's if it's on the wall someplace, she'll walk by and every time she sees it, she'll get that little uh, she'll get that little hit of oxytocin uh, that mm. says you know that says you know. And, 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 and when she sees that you're proud of her for what she's accomplished, she'll feel better about herself. Um, mm. now I have, I, I mentioned in, in, in the book, I, I have, uh, I have three 22 year olds, um, triplets. That's one of the reasons why three <laughs> is such an important number to me. Uh, yes. and that, uh, my, my triplets were all in, uh, enrolled in Taekwondo when they were young. Um, yeah. two of them made black belt. One of them made semi black belt in Taekwondo. It was the achievement of, and, and, and out in the garage, I still have every board they ever broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, little things like that. Uh, you know, when they, when, when, when life builds them, uh, uh, builds them a curve. You know, they can realize they can, they, they, they've hit a few out of the park too. Uh, mm-hmm. For a baseball reference, uh, I don't know. What, I don't know what the cricket reference for that is when you take it out out of the out of the field of play. But <laughs> it's a six, probably. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's funny. You've you reminded me. I mentioned my grandparents earlier. You reminded me talking about stuff in the garage. My um, my grandpa taught me how to drill holes and saw straight, so I can cut bread up straight. Um, and uh, he drilled, we drilled some holes in the wall in his garage and we wrote on it, I, I think I wrote on it, I drilled this hole, Grandpa drilled the other one. And then every time he repainted his garage, he painted round it so that we still had the, rec- you know, the um, recognition of the exactly. fact that I knew how to drill holes. <laughs> now, if, if you, I, I will give you an example of this, which I put in my inspiration category, but if you want to go look on my website, thepower3leadership.com, there was a... Uh, there was a field hockey team for a university in Virginia. Had a player who, in her senior year, uh, wrecked her knee and had to have surgery and wasn't able to play anymore. So on the last day of the season, the regular season, which was home game, which is what we always call in the states senior day or senior night. Um, the typical tradition is. Uh, you always start all of your seniors, if you can, um, on senior night. Well, this university, this university had this girl who couldn't walk without crutches. But she showed up at the stadium in her uniform, and they would bring the teams out, and they would line up on the field, and they would introduce the starters. And they introduced this young lady as one of the starters. And she hobbled out on her crutch to wave at the crowd. And her teammates were going crazy. But they didn't know to do that. When the game started, she was on the field with her field hockey stick, without her crutches. And when the whistle blew, they started the game. She was at near the point where the substitutes run in and off the field on field hockey. So when the whistle blew, she hopped off the field with her field hockey stick. And the trainer gave her her crutches back and her her substitute ran onto the field. Now, 
Now, that's the way you do inspirational leadership. I'm sorry, I get a little choked up about that because um, my daughter plays field hockey at another university, and she wasn't allowed to start her senior night. Uh, so I can see, in that case, a leader who didn't choose to be confirmational and inspirational with her team and another leader on a different team in a different university who did. And it's so dramatic to me because if I had that experience. But that young lady will never forget what that coach did for her. And the people who she played with will never forget what the coach did for her, that mm -hmm. young lady. And it will become part of their culture and part mm -hmm. of their, uh, their, 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 their ethos. And those are the kinds of things that they don't cost a lot. They're not that hard to do. But if you take the time to do them, they have such tremendous impact on on the uh, on the people who are who are involved. And yes. when you yes. see those kinds of things, those are the kinds of things about leadership uh, uh, that are just amazing. And if you see if you go on the website, you'll see a picture of her on her crutches waving to the crowd, and you'll see a little uh, short GIF uh, uh, GIF file yeah. showing her on the field with the whistle blowing and hopping off the field. And when you mm -hmm. see that if, that, if that kind of thing doesn't touch you, um, then you're either cold and evil or you're in despair. One of the two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which. But, uh, that's for somebody else to decide. But these are, the kinds of these are the kinds of things that inspire me to want to be a better leader and to help other people be better leaders because those are the moments in life that last a lifetime. Yeah. And that's those are the things that I aspire to, and I hope other people aspire to the same thing. Mm -hmm. So last question then. On a, a day when you, you end the day knowing you've had the chance to live more, and that's where you get to do the things that you want to do, not the stuff that you feel you should do or you have to do, what, what have you done? What does that day look like? When I... When I'm able to uh, meet with people, either in a group or individually, and talk to them about how the principles here can help them, and they recognize those things and try them out, um, uh, those are the things that just make me make me happy. Those are the things that make me say, "This is worth doing. Uh, this is worth uh, spending time and money." And resources to do because these are the things that give give the person I'm helping a return on investment and the and me a return on investment. And if you can help yourself and help others, uh, I, I I can't think of anything more important. Mm -hmm. I really can't. I, I just can't. Um, now I have everybody in the world has limitations. There's always somebody that's better than you at something. There's always somebody that's worse than you at something. That's not the important point. The important point is that you try and you make the effort and you make some modicum of improvement uh, when you when you do that. And uh, uh, I kind of I'm kind of reminded of the uh, the the, the uh, song from uh, the Man of La Mancha, the Impossible Dream. The the closing stanza of the song goes. Uh, uh, Closing stanza says, uh, says, uh, and the world will be better for this, that one man, scorned and covered with scars, 
still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. It's not getting to the star. It's reaching for it and doing it in spite of the things that come your way. Um, mm -hmm. Because the world's a tough place. I mean, uh, it's a, life is a fatal disease. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. and, and so uh, why suffer? Try to not suffer yourself and try to help others not suffer. I think yeah. that's, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a higher calling than that. Um, mm. And so I, I want to do that. I, I, try to, I try to impart that with my children when they have problems in their, their relationships or their work or their school or their coaching or whatever their, their, their athletic pursuits or whatever they're doing. Um, I try to do that with myself. I try to do this with my wife and other people I know. And when you just take the time to, to care, about that um it does amazing things it makes a lot of the stuff that's not good just not that important anymore yeah yeah well lovely thank you steve it's been um brilliant talking to you and um and hearing much more detail about the the power of three i'd, I'd um obviously read the information you sent me through and uh there was so much in there that uh, it was great to have have it sort of straight from the horse's mouth, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, they still say that in the, in the stage too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, in common with Mark Strzeczewski, who's on a, a previous podcast, we've been well, we spent probably about half an hour before we started talking about the differences in language and uh, accents and things, didn't we? So, uh, <laughs> great to uh, have had that conversation as well. Lovely. So, uh, thank can't... you. I, I can't wait until my daughter comes back from, from school for a break and I, I call her my Dodsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's she's going to be, excuse me, my what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it'll, it'll, be, it'll, be a fun, it'll be a fun exchange. Yeah, exactly. So thank you for joining me. Tell people how they can get in touch with you and find out more about the Power of Three Leadership. Uh, I have a website called... Uh, uh, the power of three leadership.com. Uh, it's all one word, you know, power of three, no spaces, uh, leadership.com. And if you happen to make the mistake of spelling out three, T H R E E, instead of writing the number three, it'll still get there. So, wow. power of three leadership.com will get you to the website. Uh, my email address is S E M C O N at Comcast.net. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Anytime you need anything, um, uh, of any sort with respect to leadership or anything else. If I can help you with anything, uh, I'm just a phone call or an email away. Lovely. Thanks, Dave. All right. All this information is available in the show notes. If you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash, in this case, 97, you can find those there. And the tool that I shared on the newsletter last week was Buffer, which I thought I'd actually shared before, but looking back on my records, apparently not. Buffer is a great way to share content on social media with the least fuss. I have it connected to my pocket account via Zapier uh, so that I can easily add useful content that I read to my buffer queue. So basically I use pocket for reading articles and when I find anything that I want to share I tag the article with a particular tag depending on where I want to share it and then Zapier in the background through automation uh, shares that content to my various social media accounts. 
And the way that Buffer works is you add your accounts and then you set a sharing schedule for each of those accounts. And then you can add your content to a queue so that it feeds those schedules. So it means that when I have an article reading fest, which is most mornings, I can easily add that content to Twitter, LinkedIn and my Facebook group queues without there being a flood of shares all at the same time, which is what can happen if you're sharing in the moment. Um, So I don't use this for my usual sharing but the the useful content that i read i use the uh the opportunity to to add to these queues so that it doesn't sort of bombard people and then the other way i use it is i see which articles have been popular each week as you uh, may know i add three of my shares um from the week to the newsletter if you're a newsletter subscriber if you're not please do go to the website powertolivemore.com and you can sign up there if you just download the five fundamentals report you'll get added to the mailing list Uh, But I look on my Buffer account to see which of my shares had the most uh, click-throughs on Twitter. And then that's how I choose the shares that I put onto the newsletter. And it's actually amazing to see that, you know, some shares come in at under 10 click-throughs and others are in the thousands. So it really can help to identify which content is really um, sort of, you know, getting people interested and, and and enabling them to to uh, actually bother to click through to, to look at it so I guess it's helpful in determining which headlines are useful as well and you can also use buffer to share in the moment um, but I don't tend to do that um, but you can add stuff to the queue and say well not add it to the queue you can go to add it to buffer and it asks you if you want to add it to the queue or if you want to share it next i.e in the next slot in the queue or whether you want to actually share it now so it does actually um, provide quite a lot of uh, flexibility so uh, yeah if uh, you're interested in finding out more then you just need to go to uh, buffer.com and uh, you'll find out all you need from there (laughs) Uh, so again the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 97 and we look forward to speaking to you next week use your power to live more